are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, 420. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. For 17 and a half years, this newscast has concluded with a weekly essay by Molly Fisk, and today's is no exception. In honor of her 600th essay, News Director Claudio Mendoza sits down for a talk with our beloved working poet. Elsewhere, along the stretch of Interstate 80 between Sacramento and the Bay Area, Kings fans and Warriors fans coexist in the basketball universe. The California Report talks to some ahead of tonight's third playoff game. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. A California bill that just passed the Senate Labor Committee would expand the paid sick leave most employers must offer from at least three days per year to seven. KQED's labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero reports. Several states like New Mexico and Colorado require more paid sick leave. Supporters for SB 616 say it's time for California to step up. They argue that the lowest-income workers typically have the least amount of paid time off, and that means they often go to work sick, which isn't good for co-workers or customers, says longtime Wendy's fast food worker Jose Hernandez. He adds he can't afford to risk losing his job or using up all his savings. The California Chamber of Commerce counters the bill would be a big financial hit to businesses, especially small ones. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. More than 98% of Californians live in areas with unhealthy ozone smog or particle pollution levels. That's according to the annual State of the Air report released by the American Lung Association yesterday. It's the worst air quality report card in the country. Vehicle emissions and wildfire smoke are major contributors to the state's poor air quality. But next week, the California Air Resource Board will vote on two measures. They could transition trains and heavy-duty truck fleets to zero-emission technologies. Mariela Racho is the Clean Air Advocacy Manager for the Lung Association. She says these regulations could be particularly meaningful to low-income communities and people of color who bear the biggest burden of air pollution. If passed, there are major, major health benefits to be gained, and that means saving over 5,000 lives and generating nearly $60 billion in public health benefits by 2050. Only three counties in California managed to not receive failing grades in the report, Humboldt, Lake, and Yolo counties. Tonight is Game 3 of the playoff series between the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings. Sacramento took the first two games of the series at home, but the next two games will be at the Chase Center in San Francisco. The Warriors will be without star forward Draymond Green tonight as he was suspended by the NBA for stepping on DeMontis Sobonis in Game 2. NBA Executive Vice President and Head of Basketball Operations Joe Dumars explained the suspension in an interview with ESPN's Malika Andrews. It wasn't a, a, a quick or easy or light decision. We understand the ramifications of a decision like this. Here, here's the thing. The act itself, okay, we felt over the top and excessive. The conduct, detrimental. Some of the, some of the things that went on after the incident. You mean engaging then, with fans? Uh, that, that's what you mean yeah, when you say that conduct? Ex- exactly. Conduct okay. detrimental. And then also the 
repeat offender. We think in totality, you take all three of those things and, and that's where you end up landing with a suspension. Warriors head coach Steve Kerr says he's disappointed by the league's decision, but the team will move forward tonight. I was uh, extremely surprised and then immediately into, all right, what's next? How do we win the game? And uh, so there's no time to, to spend you know, worrying about it or thinking about it or complaining about it. It doesn't matter. Um, the only, we'd know what the league decided to do, and, and we have to uh, respond accordingly and go out there and, and uh, go win the game. While the teams have a growing rivalry on the court, they share one thing in common off it. Both have two of the most fervent fan bases in the NBA. There are plenty of fans across Northern California who root for both teams. But what about all the towns in between San Francisco and Sacramento? Who are people rooting for there? KALW's Andrew St. Sting headed out on Interstate 80 to find out. Going to force Domas to defend Steph in space. Just past five on Friday afternoon, I walk into Harry's Sportsman's Lounge in Fairfield. I tell the bartender I'm looking for a basketball fan, and she points me to a guy named Mondo. He's decked out in 49ers gear. So I'm 49ers, Giants, Kings. Mondo's family is from Richmond, but they moved to Sassoon City, where he grew up in the 90s and early aughts. My high school year, that's when the Kings started becoming good, so that's when I became a big Kings fan. Mondo stuck with the Kings through the 17-year playoff drought that ended this year. He's excited about the future, but he doesn't want to see bandwagon Kings fans pop up in a couple years. You jump on now before it's too late. Mondo's a diehard Kings fan, but this isn't a partisan bar. Another customer, John Johnson, says he's a Warriors fan, even though he's originally from Philadelphia. I moved from Philly to here in the same year Iguodala came to the Warriors. Andre Iguodala started his career with the 76ers in 2004. He joined the Warriors in 2013. Johnson saw what Iguodala was doing. Okay, all right, my man followed me out here. That and Steph Curry's ascension turned him into a Warriors fan. Four championships since then haven't hurt. Just down the road in Vacaville, at Miss Darla's, I find a similar scene with Golden State and Sacramento fans coexisting. Phil Blackburn loves the sport, and he's rooting for the Kings. They're actually fun to watch this year. They play different than any other team in the league, and they just have a different style, and they're just fun. But for Amanda Vasquez, it doesn't really matter how the teams are playing this year, or any other year. She's always been, and always will be, a Warriors fan. I fell in love with them immediately. I've been going there since their tickets were $11. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was a while ago. Tickets for Game 3 in San Francisco are running at least 240 bucks apiece. No matter who you're rooting for, this is an exciting week along Interstate 80. For the California Report, I'm Andrew Saintsing, on the road from San Francisco to Sacramento. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. The James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at IrvineAwards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, April 20th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
In regional news, Nevada County Sheriff's investigators have arrested a 20-year-old Grass Valley man for soliciting a minor online for sex. The Sheriff's Office issued a news release this afternoon saying that detectives from its major crimes unit, posing as a 13-year-old girl on social media, received unsolicited messages from the man identified as Kenneth Fox. The news release said the suspect made it clear he wanted to have sex with the minor and arranged a meeting at his residence. Tuesday afternoon, detectives contacted Fox at his residence on Greenhorn Road and brought him in for questioning. He was subsequently arrested on three charges, communicating with a minor with the intent to commit a specified sexual act, arranging to meet with a minor with the intent to commit a specified sexual act, and distributing harmful material to a minor. He was booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office urged parents to speak with their children about Internet safety. It noted that deputies assigned as school resource officers can help educate students and parents on safe Internet usage. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Expect sunny days and warmer temperatures with no precipitation in the immediate forecast. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, mostly clear with a low in the mid-40s. Friday will be sunny and warmer with a high near 73 and a low around 51. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly clear with a low around 29. Friday will be sunny with a high near 58. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 32. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, mostly clear with a low around 50. Friday will be sunny and breezy with a high near 82 and a low in the mid-50s. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. One evening a week for the past 17 and a half years, the KVMR newscast has concluded with an essay by Molly Fisk. That's 600 essays. To observe this milestone, News Director Claudio Mendoza sat down for a talk with Molly at Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company. For the last two years, I've had the pleasure of listening to Molly Fisk's essays while preparing them for our newscast. And while I did meet her briefly when I took this job, most of our interactions have been through email. April is National Poetry Month, and this week Molly submitted her 600th essay. This confluence of events spurred me to action. I asked Molly if we could sit down for a chat. Having heard her talk often about how she likes to write while enjoying her coffee at a local shop, I thought it would be appropriate to record our conversation there, amid the sounds of coffee cups clinking and chairs being dragged about. Here it is, as recorded. So let's talk about your process. Do you write every day? No. Um, I think I ought to, and I think other people might want to, but I don't. And part of that is I write, so having written for so long and having started at a time when I didn't have a job so I didn't have to have a schedule, the first three years I was going through the memories, I was living on money that I had inherited, thank God. Um, and, and then I went to the community of writers, which is a conference held up in um, 
It's now called Pacific Palisades up near Lake Tahoe. And the process that they put their poets through is that you write a poem every day and then you workshop it the next morning. Um, I had been kind of relying on my inner workings to sit me down to write and then I'd had the habit of going and practice writing every morning for those three years. So between, between the community of writers and my own habits, I'd really gotten into this thing of do it when you feel like you want to do it and then also, oh Lord, you have to do it every day. And some combination of that has stuck with me so that if I feel a poem coming up and I, it's like stuff suddenly goes through your head and I pull over in a, at a vista point or whatever the hell, I wrote one of my own favorite poems in a pullout on Highway 101 and I edited it, but not very much. It was really almost whole on the back of a bank envelope. So for me, I kind of have this feeling of rhythm where it's like, okay, I feel like writing a poem, I better write it. Because if you don't write it, you lose it. If you wake up at four in the morning and you think, oh, that's a good line, you are not going to remember it at 7.30. Nobody does. So you either get up and write it or you decide you're going to lose it. And I've always been a, a fan of getting up and writing it because it might be good. So I follow my own internal feelings about that. And also I know that when I write a poem, I feel the most like myself. And so if I'm having trouble in some way or if I've got a busy time and I'm feeling scattered and it's starting to feel like, oh, sh you know, like life is no good anymore. I make myself sit on the sofa and write a poem or come in here. So I have kind of a two-part process for poetry, for essays, for years. I, I thought to myself when I started, it would be good to have four essays in reserve. I think I only ever got to two and then immediately they weren't in reserve anymore because I used them. So I got into this process of writing them on Thursday mornings, recording with first Carolyn Crane and then Mike Thornton and then Paul Emery and then Charlotte Peterson. I mean, all these lovely people that have recorded them. Write it 8 to 9.30 or so. Record at 1.30, it plays at 6.25. And that kind of pressure cooker <coughs> seems to have been important to me because I did it for years and years and years. And I would know, eventually I had enough essays I could do reruns. I hated it when Terry Gross did reruns. I didn't want to do reruns. Like anybody thinks I'm Terry Gross. But that idea of I want it to be real and new lasted for a very long time. I would usually know by about 11 if it wasn't going to work. And you can, I mean, it's, then the pressure gets too high. So it's all about managing your own procrastination. And I feel like I get smarter the closer I get to a deadline, up to a point, and then after that point, I'm screwed. So that I learned to manage with these essays. Do you write everything in, in longhand, pen, pen and paper? I write about 80% of stuff in longhand. Here's my longhand. We're, Dear listeners, we are looking at my notebook, which is a big mess, because <laughs> that's how I do it. 
um, and this is a smaller notebook than usual, so the essay for the bigger notebooks is two pages, and these, es these essays, it would need to be three. Um, would you like a compliment about the essay process? Please. So I learned so much about editing, writing these essays, because of the time limit. And at first I would write the essay and, rec and um, time it. And back then there weren't cell phones, so there I was with my little you know, kitchen timer, timing how many minutes it was. And it would be too short or too long. And then I would figure out, okay, how can I make this longer? Or how can I make this shorter? Um, I learned how to turn sentences absolutely inside out and upside down because I wanted to say a particular thing and it was too long or too short. Um, I totally learned the thing which now helps a lot in poetry where I would be starting a story and then I would veer off and that's part of if you look at my essays I start somewhere then I go somewhere completely else and then I come back to either join the two ideas or to the first idea. And I didn't do that on purpose, that's just how they started to sh be shaped. But sometimes I'll go off somewhere and go too far, or I'll go off somewhere that isn't going to work to come back. And so I learned to catch myself and say, it's like a storyteller over a campfire. It's like, no, 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 don't tell us that part, grandpa or whoever. <laughs> come back to the point. And I learned about devotion. I learned about doing something over and over and over and over that wasn't well I wasn't being paid I've never been paid for the essays it's a volunteer radio station I wasn't uh, getting immediate feedback like you do with an audience if you're reading them poems but there was something about showing up for that radio station every week that formed me and that helped me grow up as a person. I mean, I, I can't tell you how important it's been. You can listen to the complete version of Claudio's conversation with Molly Fisk on our website, kvmr.org, or on the KVMR News podcast. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet Yesterday I went to a fabulous event in my own neighborhood, the Sierra Poetry Festival. People I've known for many years read their work. My first poetry teacher, someone I used to write with at the most unlikely spot, a restaurant called the Hickory Pit down in Marin County. People I've never met in person but have published in an anthology were there, including our new California Poet Laureate, Lee Herrick, who is everywhere right now, since it's National Poetry Month. Some of us worry he'll exhaust himself with the traveling, much less the public readings. There were friends, former students, and many local poets in attendance. I have to pace myself for these things, or the powerful nature of hearing a lot of poetry and seeing a lot of people in person can overwhelm my nervous system. My companion and I escaped in the middle of the day to eat lunch among regular people who were unaware an explosion of poetry was taking place nearby. 
We did a little gossiping, talked about what we were each avoiding writing about, and then, revived, went back to hear more. Up next was the recitation of poems by high school students, part of a national program called Poetry Out Loud. I've been posting on social media about memorizing poems and finding out who knows what by heart. I'd also just recited one of my own poems at a reading, something I used to do but had forgotten about and was reminded how much fun it is. You're closer to an audience when you can look at their faces as you speak. No glasses on, in my case. No looking down at the page. Sometimes there is a thin film of terror if you feel the poem in your brain is not going to emerge from your mouth. But this was a poem I'd memorized years ago, and it was easy to recall. I was curious to hear these kids. High school is such a crazy time, people becoming themselves right before your eyes, and then sometimes becoming someone else if that didn't work, trying it on for size. One of the girls had on a skirt emblazoned all over with peace signs. Two boys were dressed entirely in black. Most of the poems I'd never heard of, but one was very familiar, Alfred Lord Tennyson's The Charge of the Light Brigade. A war poem, a tragedy, a piece of history. And it's not short, 55 lines. The student said he wanted to test himself on something long. Ahem. Speaking of long, I've been writing these three-minute radio commentaries for KVMR for 17 and a half years. Some of you weren't even driving back then, and no one had cell phones. Coincidentally, the refrain in Tennyson's poem is 600. Rode the 600, not the 600, left of 600, noble 600. I don't know why I started numbering my commentaries in October 2005. I could never have believed it was more than a short-term gig. I mean, who likes poetry this month, or even poets? Yet, dear listeners, here we are. Thanks to you, to the station, the airwaves, and this invisible auditory community we call home, you have just heard number 600. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, April 20th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Miner's Foundry in Nevada City, presenting an evening of contemporary Scottish music, Americana, and rock with Scarivore on Sunday, April 23rd. Doors at 6.30, show at 7.30. A no-host bar and snacks available for purchase. Minersfoundry.org. And Green Acres Nursery and Supply with seven area locations offering over 100 varieties of vegetables and herbs, including organics for homegrown culinary gardens. IDigGreenAcres.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, 
empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.